I'm Kendall. I'm Bree. Oh, that was so fake. Let me say uh, that again. Yeah, you were really were like, <laughs> Ew, I'm, I'm Kendall. Kendall. Ew, no, I'm not. Bitch, let's stop I'm Kendall. I'm Bree. And this is When the Light Goes Out. Whoa. Hey, everyone. So how's the week been going? I forgot you can't say anything because we're recording this <laughs> pre-record. So, oh, well. But I hope everyone's having a good week so far. Um, when this comes out, it is obviously a nice Friday. And we have a second part to our Eileen Wernos case. Woohoo! Woohoo! Let me tell part you. Part two. Part two. I'm excited for part two. Our part two is uh pretty crazy. And yeah, it's, no kidding. Yeah, literally. God, I have ten pages worth of notes to get through. Ten. Ten pages. So We're we won't be here for a while. We won't keep on too much banter or anything because I I want to dive in and I don't want to waste too much time. But um, so just a quick summary of part one, just in case anyone may have forgotten or just in case you may have skipped part one. Yeah. And if you skip part one, you should probably go watch it just so you can get a good feel on the background of her life. Yeah. You should definitely go back and listen to part one. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it is important to know why that she did what she did. Yes. And I, I'm really glad that I started the first one out with mostly just her childhood and her upbringing, because I think that just really set the foundation um, when we were here last week, we talked about Eileen Wernos and how she was raised in a very terrible household growing up after her mother had gave her up and uh, sorry, her and her brother up for pretty much adoption, just gave her off to her grandparents. She had been molested by multiple men, including her grandfather and her uh, grandfather's friends. At an early age of 11, we had said how she had found that prostitution was just a preferred line of work, and she had just indulged in a lot of drugs and alcohol. And then she eventually had given birth to a baby boy. Um, she got kicked out of her grandfather's house. She then embarked on a terrible journey through the States doing prostitution. She eventually made it to Florida, where she was with to go to Louisville, and divorced after um, beating him over the head with a cane. Not the cane. Not the cane. And then went on to go her merry way and commit a lot more criminal activities. So that's where we left off. So a decade after marrying and divorcing Louis Fell in 1986, Eileen had went into a gay bar called Zodiac Bar in Daytona, Florida, which uh, I don't know if that's still open, but... Shout out to the gays. Shout out to the gays. Do you want to go to a gay bar? <laughs> gay bar. <laughs> um, where she obviously was getting heavily shasted and had... Shasted. I put shasted too. Shasted. Shasted. Okay. And she had ran into a young woman. Now, this woman is a really sweet woman. She was just an electric blonde with really upbeat attitude and they really got to know one another now this woman at the time was 24 years old named tyria moore now in part one i did call her tyra which i'm so sorry that's just a quick fix i had to mention because i want to make sure i get most of the names right but i also wanted to just also mention that um throughout their time together they went by lee and ty so eileen went by lee and you know uh uh, Tyria went by Ty, so it's kind of easier. I might go back and forth to that sometimes throughout this. I just want to also mention that this is probably one of Eileen Wernos' most important relationships, so also nice to just note. So weeks prior to their meeting, Ty had just gone through a lot of disagreements with her family. Her hometown of Candace, Ohio in general just made her feel really unwanted for her sexual orientation which brought her to moving to uh, Daytona to be a hotel maid. And then she would occasionally go out to bars and clubs and looking just to meet new people with similar interests to her. And it didn't take very long for them, um, both Eileen and for uh, Tyria, to start really bonding and they became really close. Eventually, shortly after, they became a couple. 
Now, this relationship was really important for Eileen because she was always on the move and was never really in love, quote unquote, with the men that she had met along the way. But Ty was different. I get it. Yeah, I love love. I get it. We love a gay relationship. We love the gays. (laughs) We love the gays. But she felt a real bond with her. She found love with someone who had left her back and she started really learning how to love. Now, Eileen really wanted to provide for Ty and care for her in the best ways that she could. One thing I did want to mention was that at the time Ty was 24 and at the time Eileen was 30, now, nothing against, you know, any age differences, because I know I like my older men. Uh, <laughs> See. But I, I do want to say that <clears throat> I think Tyria had found Eileen at a very vulnerable stage because she had just gone through a lot at home. And then she had met her right after moving to Daytona. So I want to say that going through this definitely had something to do with that. And, you know, the million dollar question is how could Eileen love and care for Tyria if she could barely love herself? Yeah. It's just a thought of, a thought of mine. Fair point. Fair point, right. So what made matters worse was that Lee convinced Ty to quit her nine to five at, as a hotel maid to spend more time with her and told her, quote, you know what? You don't need a job. I'll take care of you, unquote. But it started getting really difficult for Eileen because she made all that money, but it wasn't enough to support two people. They would start living in cheap hotels. They would move around to, you know, apartments sometimes together. And when things got really bad, they would literally stay out in the woods. Kind of like how Eileen did when she was younger, if you remember. Yeah, Yeah. on her own. Yeah, which I can never live in the woods. No. How could someone live in the woods? Like, I don't understand that, but... Okay. No, I couldn't do that. Not me. Uh, I'm I'm too I'm too preppy for that life. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I need my bathroom. <laughs> yes, literally. I need my bed. Same. I definitely I definitely agree. Very blessed. And now, there's another factor that I wanted to also mention. It's that Eileen was a sex worker, and Ty kind of figured that out, but she hated it about her. She really wanted her to stop, and she really tried to get her to stop multiple times, but it's just all that Eileen knew. So they were together for a solid four years, and Eileen became more and more desperate as the times went on to support for the both of them, and she started to believe that if she didn't start raking up enough cash, Ty would just eventually leave her. And so to ensure that this didn't happen, Eileen went on to commit her first murder. Yikes. Yikes. Seriously. So the time was November 30th of 1989. 51-year-old Richard Mallory owns a electronics repair store in Clearwater, Florida. He'd often frequent the nightclubs in Daytona Beach area and beyond his ownership of his repair store, he had a criminal record also as a convicted rapist. Oh my God. Oh yeah. (laughs) So keep that in the back of your mind because that does come back. Now that same night of November 30th, going into December 1st of 1989, he spotted Lee waiting with her thumb up on the side of the road and picked her up in his 1977 Cadillac along Interstate 75 for a good time. But things didn't go exactly as planned. They pulled over to a secluded spot on the road where Eileen then pulls out a 22 caliber pistol she always kept on her and shoots Mallory four times in the chest before dumping his body in the woods wrapped in a rug and takes the Cadillac. Dang, just like unprovoked? Unprovoked, but... I think later on we'll also find that she found a reason to do this. And I think it'll make more sense later, too. Okay. Now, her first murder is often debated, as Eileen claims to, like you just said, that, you know, did she do this in self-defense? Or, you know, as the state claims, did she do this in cold blood? But take the evidence as you will. Like I said, in part one, a lot of the given information is according to Eileen. But also note that not only did she steal his car, she stole his money and a lot of his personal items. 
and then fled the scene. Yeah. She robbed him and left. She robbed that man and robbed, left. murdered, and left. Oh, I like that. That should be like a band name. Robbed, murdered, and left. <laughs> <laughs> now, on the same end, he was also a convicted rapist. So, well... Mm. it's probably better that he's not alive yeah yeah <laughs> um oh also i just put on my notes too that i remember watching that movie monster that we talked about by that the way was a really good movie that was a really good movie, that was a good movie. i don't um, know if we emphasized that enough in the first episode but uh, that's a really good movie um at, go watch that movie after this episode please because it is so good Charlize theron theron you're amazing i love you also we fucked up on knowing her partner's name, it was Christina Ricci. I looked that up. So. Christina Ricci. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm like, I how could I forget her. that? Yeah. Okay, that's definitely Christina Ricci. That's Christina Ricci. She's so cute. I don't know how the fuck I forgot about that, but <clears throat> okay, yeah. But um, sorry. Like as I said in the movie, um, it the movie suggests that her first kill was in self defense. So um, I mean, see the movie. Tell us what you think about that. But it definitely has its both sides. So. Yeah. So Lee goes back to the motel where her and Ty were staying with a Cadillac. She goes back to the hotel with a Cadillac. And the first thing she tells Ty is, I killed a man today. What? Imagine just sitting on a bed waiting for like your man or your significant other to come home. And then just... If Simon walked into Simon the door right w- now and was like, I killed somebody, I would have been like, divorced. Get the hell out of my house now. <laughs> real, get out of my house. <laughs> What is the reason? So not only does Ty know how Lee makes her money, which he is already uncomfortable with, but Eileen also says, you know, hey, I killed a man today. So I don't know how the fuck to feel about that. At least she's honest. Hey, she she busted that door saying it too. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kidding. (laughs) But the reoccurring statement from Eileen suggests that it was in self-defense. And she told Ty that it was in self-defense. I had no choice. He was going to rape me and kill me. Which was enough for Ty to believe. And I understand prostitution is dangerous and it's a dangerous field of work. But we have to look at the next several murders to really understand what is and isn't self-defense. So Lee eventually had driven the Cadillac to a remote location, not far from where she dropped the body. And the car was later discovered, um, abandoned days later on December 13th, 1986, two men discover Mallory's body in a wooded area underneath a piece of carpet. The decomposition stage had already taken place so the coroner had identified the body via fingerprints and determined that this was, in fact, the body of Richard Mallory. He had died of four gunshots to the chest. but Four? Four. But police had no leads. They didn't know what to do at this point. It's kind of random because, again, I uh, don't think a lot of women at the time were convicted serial killers. And no, she was the first one. She was a, Yeah, so it was kind of just like a what the hell do we do now kind of thing. Meanwhile, as the investigation continued, both Lee and Ty started to pawn his belongings that Eileen had taken out of his car and used that money and the money that she stole. Side note, what did this man keep in his car that they could pawn? I have like a <laughs> That's hat. a good question. <laughs> I have a hat that my god baby left in my car and a sticker in my backseat. There is there's like, nothing to pawn in mine. There's a, a microwave in the trunk. I didn't even think about that because I'm thinking about my car. I'm like, I think my car's the only valuable thing itself. I know, like, I think my actual <laughs> car is like I don't think I don't know what else actually I could I'm thinking now, what the hell is in my car that someone could actually pawn if they wanted to? Like, I literally have I literally nothing have, of value. I clean my car out. Like, there's just nothing in there. So I don't he think has a really kidding. nice car, guys. <laughs> I, on the other hand. Thanks. No, I have a no. nice car. You know it's you just do. a little old. Well, it's not that old. But it's not new. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I, I literally just bought my car, like, last year, I think. Yeah. So Was it last year? Yeah. yeah, it was last year. It's a Bronco, guys, if you're asking. Um, <laughs> Subtle flex. <laughs> um, so, like I had said, um, where was I? I'm sorry. Oh, so like I said, they had pawned his things, yes, and taken his things to the pawn shop. They got rid of his car. And now that Eileen um, has done this, she doesn't really commit her next murder until less than a year later in May of 1990. 
But I do question why the next murder took so long to commit, just because, I mean, if she's doing this maybe specifically out of money, like, was she good after that? Was he, did he have enough in his car to, like... Or was it really self-defense? Or was it, yeah. Hmm. Because if it was for money, then you'd think there would have been more in between. Yeah, that's true. But if it actually is self-defense, it would make more sense as to why they were... So far in between, I guess. Yeah, and why she waited so long to commit the next one. Yeah, because maybe the other... What are they always called? Um, Johns? Johns, yeah. <laughs> I think they the Johns. Johns. Yeah, they called them Johns. Um, because maybe the other Johns weren't a threat. Yeah, maybe. that's what I think, too. Maybe. Well, tell me I your thoughts know. at the ends. <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> May of 1990... 43-year-old father of three, David Spears, was a construction worker that had met Eileen on the street and picked her up. And after driving several uh, several miles to another designated area, Eileen took out her 22 caliber pistol and shot him six times in the torso. Six. Six times. These are a lot of gunshots for self-defense, For self-defense. That's what I'm saying. And, like, wait to her trial and see what she says because... I think her her trying to back up herself and trying to clear her name is just the shittiest in the shittiest ways and it kind of frustrates mm-hmm. me cuz I do want her to be locked up if obviously this is something that she's doing on purpose but like if you're getting you know harassed or something someone is doing something to you why would you shoot somebody six times six, six yeah, times for in the real. so his truck had been found abandoned on May 25th. Keep in mind, this was kind of the beginning of May. So it was found abandoned on the 25th of May. And his body wouldn't be found for another week on June 1st, which ironically was the same day as his 18-year-old daughter's graduation day Aww. from high school. Yeah, About 40 miles outside of Tampa was the decomposing nude body of David Spears. Now, this already looks bad for Eileen because now she's getting messy. And as we will also see later on, the prosecution will state that she already had a hatred for men. And if she was a victim or, a you know, a victim of assault, what good does it do for you to strip these men bare of their clothes? Why do that? Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Like getting but... rid of evidence or is that just Right. Like... I'm like, what, what sense does it make? Humiliating. Humiliating or... them? That's what I thought too. Maybe it's like a humi- humi- humiliation. <laughs> humiliation. <laughs> humiliation. A humiliation thing. So maybe. Anyways, at least five days has gone by when Eileen commits her third murder. Wait, how many days? Only five. That's not many. Not many. So, this was 40-year-old part-time rodeo worker, Charles Car... Oh, yeah, I'm gonna fuck this one up. I already know I will. Rodeo? Rodeo. What's that? Car... Car... car hold on. Cars get on. Cars get on. Okay. So, this was 40-year-old part-time rodeo worker, Charles Carsakadon. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I said that wrong again, but it's okay. I'll keep going. Charles had been driving along I-75 towards Tampa to meet up with his fiance when he spotted Eileen hitchhiking. One thing I wanted to quickly also mention is I can't be sure if he was trying to help her. Hitchhiking was very, very prevalent in the 80s. Yeah, very big. It was like common. It was a very common thing. Not nowadays. No. If you're doing Ain't no that, stranger getting in my car. If you see someone on the side of the road and their thumb is up waiting for someone to stop, keep going. Yeah, for real. That's all I got to say. But I don't know, like I said, if he was trying to help her or if he was actually looking for sex. But on June 6th, his body was found nude, Aww. decomposing with nine shots to the chest and stomach this time. Was he like a good guy, though? I think he was. Aww. Yeah. His body was 30 miles away from where David Spears' body had been discovered. And on June 7th, his car was found and it was apparent to police that his belongings have been missing. So that same month, on June 7th, 1990, 65-year-old Peter Sims, a retired merchant seaman turned missionary, left his home to Jupiter, Florida, to head to Arkansas to visit his son, but reportedly never arrived. His car was spotted a month later on July 4th, Independence Day, 
in Orange Springs shortly after witnesses called the police to report that they had seen two women getting out of a badly wrecked car and left it there, just left. So remember that because it's going to come back to us later. But tragically, Peter's body was never found. I never found it. And she never admitted where he was. Nope. Nope. Not at all. I don't think we'll ever know, unfortunately. So, Eileen's fifth victim was a delivery driver for a sausage factory. This was 51-year-old Troy uh, Burez. A sausage factory. A sausage. I love my (laughs) sausage. Uh, that was so dirty for the story. I'm sorry, guys. Um, so <laughs> he had went missing on July 30th, and his truck had been found the next day, and a missing so uh, missing persons report had been filed. Although this body was later found this time fully clothed, and it was discovered by a family that had been picnicking in Alcala National Forest. Not a family. A family. It, okay, imagine. Picnicking, picnicking with, your with your family, and then you're like Little your child or something sees someone on the ground, and you're like, "That's a dead body." What That's the hell? Traumatizing. At least he was clothed this time. He was clothed, which, yeah, to say the least, I guess that's good. So he had been shot twice in the torso, and decomp had begun. Near his body were several several items, including a clipboard several documents, and an empty bank bag. Her sixth victim's murder was committed on September 11th of 1990, so a little over a decade before 9-11. Charles Dick Humphreys, this was a retired Air Force major, retired Alabama police chief, and at the time of his murder, he had actually been a Florida State child abuse investigator. He, so I know for, good guy. I know for, yeah, I, I mean, we can, we can damn well for sure deem him a decent person, because. Hopefully. Well, hopefully. His line of work was decent. His line of work was decent. I can, I feel like I can at least back him up a little bit, because I did read in a lot of sources that his family were like, he was the nicest man ever. He would, Aww. he spent all his time dedicating it to like finding missing pe- persons and like. Aww. Defending child abuse, you know, kids I've been through a lot, things Eileen, like that. What the fuck is wrong fuck with Fuck Eileen, dude. Fuck Eileen. So he was a father of three as well, same as David Spears. And like I said, police expected that his death had been done due to sex work, but his family defended him fully and said that he was a man who would never, ever even consider that. They acknowledged that he would help people, especially if they needed rides, but they would he would never harm them or submit to himself to a sex worker. Well, they don't know that man's personal life. I guess not. I guess you don't really know someone, but we'll look at the evidence and we'll look at that later. I okay. guess we'll just, we'll deem it from how we view it. Okay. That's the hard thing about this case because... As much as we want to blame the victim or blame, you know, whoever, because it's hard to know, because these men are claimed to be, you know, people that might have harmed Eileen Wernos. But on the other side of things, you know, was Eileen Wernos, you know, telling the truth through some of these? Did she have a vendetta against them? And ultimately, she murdered people. So ultimately, like... she did murder people. So that's why, I don't know, I get soft when it comes to these victims because I'm like, some of them were actually sounded like really decent people. And it's hard to know because I, I don't... Yeah, because we don't know if she's lying or not. Yeah, and I can only find so much information on them. I mean, these families, you know, of course, you, you have the... Uh, what are they called? The funeral things. Um, obituaries? Obituaries, thank you. Sorry, I don't, can't think of right now. But um, the obituaries, things like that. Like, things like that were there to read. And so you take this stuff and you're like, these people were really good people. Maybe not the first one, but the other ones seem to be. So it's just like, I don't know. I question it. I question yeah. it. I don't know. So Charles Humphreys was found shot seven times to his head seven. and torso. Oh my gosh. That's like, this number keeps climbing. It keeps climbing, but what's crazy? Oh, I can't even do it. Head? Like, head? Yeah. I, I can't. I can't. I can't. Now I moved up to the head. Oh. 
And yeah, he was fully dressed with his pockets found inside out, and his car was located by authorities one week later with the license plates removed, and it took officials almost a month to even tie his car to him. <sighs> Terrible. She's good, though. She she somehow is, like, really good about not getting a track record. Covering her tracks, yeah. 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 And I think what's really smart about this, too, um, that... She, I don't know if she intentionally did this, but she kind of did this in all separate kind of counties. So all the police, you know, yeah. all the police. They don't really talk to each are, other. Yeah, they're all separate. So they're yeah. all investigating this separately. So Eileen's last and seventh victim was 60-year-old truck driver Walter Antonio. He was heading to look for a new job and unfortunately hadn't made it. His nude body had been found on November 18th of 1990 in a remote area of Dixie County. Dean Compt had taken effect and it was found that he had four bullet holes to the back of his head and back. So execution style. And Antonio's car was found five days later in Brevard County with items missing, including a gold ring. He wore all the time, and this is very important because this piece of evidence also comes back to us later. But what eventually caught up with Eileen and Tyria was the car that he had crashed back in July, if you remember. Yeah. Like I said, if we recall, that stolen car was Peter Sims. What I didn't mention about that day is that witnesses had described the women that they saw, and sketch artists and investigators did get a really nice sketch of these women and kind of put them in a really bad situation, yeah. to say the least. So they also recovered a bloody handprint from the truck of the car, and though it was not until November of 1990, they eventually really started to mend things together. So police started to release the composite sketches and the information to the press. They wanted to keep the evidence they found close to the chest until they had solid descriptions of these women so that it wouldn't, so it would be a little easier to catch them. The police were also investigating all of these murders separately in different counties, like we had just said. So it got easier after a while to, you know, piece bring, it all together. Piece it all together. Yeah. yeah. So right away, The sketches were released to the news outlets, and calls began pouring in. Police began receiving over at least 400 calls and claims, and some were not helpful, while others gave a lot of vital information. I think 400 calls can be a lot, especially when you're in one state. One call specifically described these anonymous women to be Tyria Moore and Lee. Literally just Lee. Um... What really threw police officers off was that Eileen had been going by so many various aliases throughout the time that she was in Florida that it was kind of also difficult to pinpoint who this person was. Yeah, who Lee was. Yeah. So not only did these sketches work and help the investigation, but it eventually led investigators to pawn shops where they'd find stolen possessions like a gold ring. Cough, cough, the ring was Walter Antonio's. (laughs) Now, she also may have used her alias when selling stolen items, but her fingerprints had also been on the items. Damn. Which is just crazy to me, because I'm like, it's the 90s, and it's still crazy, the fact that they could do so much with, like, technology and, like, fingerprints, and and that's crazy. the fact that the fingerprint was on there for, like, that long. So long. Well, that's another thing, too, because I was thinking, like, wouldn't other people touch it and stuff like that? Yeah, someone's viewing it. But then again, like, how many people are going into a pawn shop and looking at the same exact item every day? Yeah, that's true. Especially when there's a lot of jewelry. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. See, this is why I need you here. So, (laughs) the hard part about this, though, was that they had the evidence, but they needed to still find these women that were hiding. They knew from the beginning, eventually, the cops would be on their tail. So, remember, they were always moving around. While police were continuing their search for the two, Lee and Ty were not on the same page. Ty had seen her composite sketch on the TV, and she got really scared and left Florida and Eileen and had moved to Pennsylvania to stay with family. She knew what was coming. <laughs> yeah, she did. She definitely did. She's trying to run. 
January 9th of 1991, Eileen was at the last resort bar in Vaishula County, Florida, which was a biker bar at the time. Um, it's actually, I think, I think it's still up right now. I think people yeah. after this case have actually gone to that bar and like take pictures there because, you know, that's a thing. People like to take pictures and... That's sad. <laughs> yeah. So... She was at the Les Resort Bar, and police had finally closed in on Eileen for an outstanding warrant. So not murder, but an outstanding warrant yeah, for something small. Yeah, like one of her, her many mm-hmm. millions of petty thefts or cons. But Eileen did not know at the time that Ty had also been arrested in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, police were convincing Ty to elicit a confession from Eileen to. And um, sorry, in exchange for immunity, so she wouldn't be prosecuted. Mm. I don't think the decision was very difficult for Tyria. <laughs> no, she didn't commit any of these murders, but she was an accessory to murder. Yeah, she was an accomplice. Yeah, she knew about it. She knew about it, and so she's just equally as bad. Yeah. Not only you know, it's not bad, but it's not a very cute stamp on your record. So. No. <laughs> So they bought Tyria back to Florida, planted her in a motel where she was recorded and listened in on a series of phone calls between her and Eileen, who was also being held at the time in the jail on that standing warrant. They had various calls, so Eileen would not suspect anything that the police were onto her. And on one of the calls, Tyria would cry and she would tell Eileen, you know, how scared she was to go to prison for what Eileen had done. And she even literally threatened to kill herself, which is really what just put Eileen over the edge. And in an attempt to calm Tyria down, Eileen had said, quote, you're innocent. I'm not going to let you to go to, I'm not going to let you go to jail. Listen, if I have to confess, I will, unquote. And so she did, kind of. Right after the last call, Eileen had confessed to the police that she had killed seven men but in self-defense. Mm. My girl, come forward. Yeah, for real. <laughs> You're lying. It's all lies. So I hit watch some interrogation videos, and in them you will see that Eileen is just not giving police solid information. She's just very calm. She's smoking a cigarette. Like, she doesn't give any shit in the world. And she's just being very difficult. And you can tell the interrogators are just over her BS. Before Eileen had even been charged with the murder, um, her arrest went public. And people all around this case tried profiting from the story. This was literally just like police officers, officials, anyone that was involved with her case. Eileen herself would try to make a profit, but spoiler, you can't make a profit from your own crime you committed, dumbass. According to True Crime All the Time podcast, her own public defender even tried to withdraw from, oh, sorry, they did withdraw from the case because they were accused of working with Eileen to get her a Hollywood deal, which I'm assuming is kind of like a documentary or something. Probably, yeah. So eventually Eileen was assigned a second public defender by the name of Trisha Jenkins, who also profited off her case. And according everybody's getting rich literally off Literally everyone <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's getting rich off Eileen. What's going on here? Now according to Penn State, Eileen Wernos was given a psychopathy exam and scored a thirty two out of forty, which I think a score of twenty five or thirty is considered consistent with diagnosis of being a psychopath. Well. (laughs) And she was also diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So this deems relevant to the case just because the attorneys did try to use this in court. And I think that her second attorney may have profited off of this case, but Trisha actually was doing the best she could at this case, and I think it was evident because I watched a lot of the trial videos, and it seems like she was putting in that work. Mm. On January 13th, 1992, Eileen's trial began for the murder of Richard Mallory. Tyria became the star witness on the case, and on the fourth day of the trial, Tyria provided 75 minutes worth of testimony. The entire time, she would not even look at Eileen, not even an eye. Now, 
A prominent claim was that Eileen would never t- tell Ty that Richard Mallory really hurt her. She just said that she would return home after the incident or the altercation, and she completely was unharmed and unfazed by the matter. She just was fine. She didn't seem mad about it or anything. She didn't seem, I don't know. I guess everyone has different reactions, reactions to a murder, but I would think that when you get home and you be just like, killed a man, adrenaline. you would be, be like, pumped up on oh adrenaline. Oh my God, I killed someone. What do I do? Yeah, you wouldn't just be like, I killed someone. I don't know. What do you want for dinner? (laughs) What do you want for dinner now? Like, we're good. Once Tyria had finally finished her testimony, she left the courtroom, and that would be the last time Eileen would ever see Tyria. At first, there was speculation that Eileen would be offered a retrial because, if you recall, Mallory was convicted, uh, was a convicted sex offender, and he served 10 years in prison, but nothing came of that. So the prosecution did present evidence of the other murders to show motive, which normally isn't legal in most states to bring evidence in from other cases. But the state of Florida does have an act called the Williams Rule, which is which is allowing for any evidence outside of the given case to be brought forward if it deems relevant, which really helped persuade the jurors. And I feel like Florida needs that law. Those people are yeah. crazy in Ooh. Florida. Yeah, there are so many Florida crazy... Florida man. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> that is so true. Um, which I actually didn't know before researching this that that was actually a thing. Cause, what, this? Yeah, you can bring evidence into a trial. Yeah, that's like... That's not... A, if it's relevant. That's yeah, a good thing. That's like a good thing. I would think that's a good thing, right? I think other states should have that too. But that's just me. Just my thought. Sorry. It's probably just so there's like not a lot of bias or something. Like yeah, that. that's true. That is true. But yeah. it, it did help the jurors. And like I said, it kind of got a lot of the people that may have been on her side of innocence out of that. So and following this, prosecution also showed the court tapes that Eileen Cat confessed to. So kind of showed everything that she was confessing to and such from that day that she had been arrested. Eileen did have a chance to give her statements. She told the jury that she needed the money to support herself, but moreover, she didn't kill these men just to kill them. She did it because they were going to hurt her or someone else. She'd explained that Richard Mallory had intentions to rape her, sexually assault her with items and harsh chemicals such as rubbing alcohol to her privates, and that she had to... Basically, spit in his face, kick him off of her, and grabbed her gun to shoot him with several times. Now, when she found that it didn't take, she said she shot him a couple more times and then proceeded to wrap his body in a rug she found so that birds wouldn't get to him and drove off with his car. Does that make sense? (laughs) No, but okay, why did she care if birds got to him or not? I'm like, girl, okay, if someone is coming up to you and trying to hurt you, why would you give a fuck if they're in a rug or not to save him from getting pecked by birds? Where did she bring... It was a rug? It was a he rug. She just had a rug in his car? I don't know where she found it. I didn't find that, that piece of information, but I knew that she had found a rug somewhere, I guess, in his car or... Oh, it's just random rug laying on the road. That I don't is, know. Kind of <laughs> I'm like, where the hell did she find this rug? That's a good question. Aladdin, come get your rug. <laughs> so, unfortunate for Eileen, the prosecution really had her cornered and just questioned her, cross-examined her, just really put her on the spot. I think this is really what screwed Eileen for a lighter sentence because... She started really getting angry in the courtroom. She started making phrases at the prosecution. She started speaking out of turn. And then the jury really just started getting tired of Eileen and saw her for what she really was. Yeah, because an innocent person wouldn't be like... All mad about it. Mad. And or making annoyed. faces and being a child in court. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. You like, wouldn't if you're do trying that. to, like, prove you're not guilty, you wouldn't act out. Yeah. She really screwed herself up for that. Yeah. The prosecution had really got the case in the bag after addressing to the courtroom. Eileen confessed to murdering these men in self-defense, but never once mentioned her brutal rape inflicted by Mallory when she was being tried and questioned for the murder in the first place. But Eileen maintained her innocence and insisted that she never killed in cold blood. 
So, after two hours of deliberation, the jury found Eileen Wernos guilty of first-degree murder and armed robbery of Richard Mallory. Right away, as Eileen was being brought out of the courtroom, she just starts yelling slurs at the judge and the jury. And you can literally actually find these trial videos online if you want to, see for yourself. But my thing is, had Eileen given the story that she had told in the courtroom to the police at first, maybe she wouldn't be in the situation that she had faced and there'd be a different outcome. I don't know. But the judge has sentenced Eileen to death by electric chair and she maintained her innocence leading up to her final days. Uh, This is not really super relevant, but her last request of mail was a burger, snacks, and a cup of coffee. A burger and coffee? <laughs> a burger and coffee. Your last meal. Wait, what's your last meal if you have to have one? That's a good question. I Probably like, like Taco Bell and like Honestly, Slurpee. I feel like that would be both of ours. <laughs> yeah, like Taco Bell and a Slurpee probably. Taco Bell Pepsi would be hitting different sometimes. Oh, that is so true. I remember when we would like in high school, I would go to... The, Taco the Bell, one. the same the Taco same Bell. Taco Bell. We'd sit in the same spot and then we talk about boys for like two hours. She's not lying. We really Shout would. out to all of those people. You know who you are. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, anywho, on October 9th, 2002, Eileen Wernos was executed. As for uh, Tyria, today she keeps a low profile and she has kept her life private since. Other than just a couple of interviews that she had made profit from. And it's said that she may live in Pennsylvania with her family. So, yeah, that brings me to the end of part two of Eileen Wernos and her crazy-ass life. Wow. Well, I mean... Yeah, ultimately, she she killed people. She killed people. And no matter the way, any way you look at it, there's no way to justify killing people. No. Like, don't kill people. That's the moral of the story, guys. Also, I feel like it's harder to claim self-defense if you've killed multiple people. It is. I think so, too. I mean, but then it comes with the grounds of what she was doing, what she was working, well, and how she was supporting part. herself yeah. is the difficult part. Because, like, like I said, I she think... She can't stop, right? She needs to support herself. Yeah. And make money. So she can't necessarily stop. I mean, she can, but in her eyes, she can't. She can't. It was just something she'd know now and something she was yeah. just going to keep doing. She also had, like, a hard time getting a job, right? Yeah, did she did. She, look? she had tried for yeah. a minute. Um, she just didn't have an experience and everything, right? Yeah. No, I know for from just my research, I know she had tried to apply for a lot of jobs, but unfortunately, she didn't have that background that she needed yeah. or but that foundation. She was foundation. also, like, an aggressive person. And she was aggressive, yeah. I was yeah. just going to also say, I don't know if this is actually real but i know from the movie monster when i had watched it um the way she was portrayed in the movie she got really aggressive and she tried to go to like these job interviews interviews, and she would just never click with these people because she is so aggressive as a as a person so but yeah that that's the case of finally wearing guys i hope you liked it and yeah. Wait, hold but... on. We're not done talking. Oh, God, go on. Sorry. <laughs> you cut it off too we're, short. We're rewinding. We're rewinding. You cut it off too short. <laughs> we haven't even talked about Miss Tyria. Yes. Oh, my God. I even. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. Um, no. Miss Tyria really got out of everything. I mean, ultimately, she didn't murder anyone, but she knew about it. She knew about it. I feel like she she'll, still should have faced something. Well, okay. When I first was researching the story and I kind of had a little knowledge of what had happened in this case, um, I kind of felt bad for Tyria because I'm like, oh, like she was really young. She was kind of naive. She got roped into it because she was already vulnerable because of her family and the people she knew back home in Ohio. Yeah. And then... It just didn't help because now she's over here getting into a relationship with a felon. And it's like, I don't know, when you're in that kind of situation, how does that work out? Like, are you afraid, so afraid that you don't want to leave them? Or is it more so like, uh, I really like this person, I'd do anything for them. But I don't know, because in my mind, I feel like Tyria wasn't as in love with Eileen as Eileen was for her. 
Yeah. And I feel like that's why Eileen was so dedicated to her because she was really just a go-getter when it came to just making her happy. We could yeah. see that. She literally murdered for her. And I guess, I don't know, when it came down to it, I don't know, it just really shows that when you do something that bad, no one's going to look out for you. You're on your own. It's not worth it. It's not worth killing for. It's not worth... I get love is great and fun and, you know, you have your fun too. And I just can't believe Tyria is just out there. Yeah, she's, she's roaming around. Who knows? She could be listening to this and Ms. we Tyria. wouldn't even know. You said Miss Tyria. Miss <laughs> Tyria. Miss girl. What's that one meme that's like, Miss Keisha? Miss Keisha. Miss Keisha. Miss Keisha. Oh my fucking God, she's fucking dead. <laughs> Guys, look that up on YouTube. I sure it's on there. It's so funny. It it's like a little girl who's like her yelling at her animal. doll. And she's like one video, she's like beating her stuffed animal. She's like, you don't, 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 don't. Oh, so funny. Miss Keisha. Miss no, Tyria. Miss Tyria, yeah. Seriously, Ms. girl. Miss Tyria, you probably have some stories to tell. Yeah, and you can watch again. Um, I think, I haven't watched them, but you can watch a couple of her interviews on the internet um i think she this girl up. yeah you can definitely see what she looks like Ooh. i feel like when this case is talked about tyria is not brought up a lot no and i think it's because tyria has worked so hard to get her name out of it but she still is a part in a vital part about this case so i think that she has you know to kind of be in it what is, oh that's her cat eating <laughs> As for the victims of this case, again, as you guys at home, you guys, whatever you're doing right now, look these people up because these were all people that were, I will say they're victims of Eileen. They are victims at the end of the day. At the end of the day, they're victims. To think even like the first one when she had killed Mallory, even if he had done something bad, you should you shouldn't kill people. Like, I just, yeah, I, I can't get over that. Like... Maybe he partly got everything like, he was coming for, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, partly, like, it's like justice was served at the end of the day, I feel like. Yeah. Especially for his victims. Yeah. Because he himself created victims of himself. Yeah, he definitely So, did. at the end of the day, like, it's kind of, I guess, justice served. But justice it's also, like, served, she literally killed people. She, yeah. Like, I'm sorry, honey, but there's other ways to make money. There's other ways yeah. to make money. You can make money any way you want. Just don't kill people. <laughs> yeah, for real, Miss Girl. Yeah. She well, needed OnlyFans. Oh, my God. Yeah, she hell, girl, she would have... She would have done great there, I'm sure. But unfortunately, we will never know. Cause no. sure. Not unfortunately. Fortunately. Oh, fortunately. Sorry. Thank you. It's late. <laughs> well, rest in peace to all those victims, especially the the good ones. Yeah, definitely. I can't imagine their families. Yeah, especially for the families. On behalf of them, I, I really hope the families are doing well today. Yeah, I hope they found peace. Yeah. Time for my little spiel I always do at the end. Um, as always, the ways to reach us are going to be on Instagram. Um, Kendall just recently changed the name. Sorry about that. To make it um, a little bit easier to find. Yeah. Um, to go along with all the other ways you can reach us too. So our Instagram name is now going to be WTLGO Podcast. Were there underscores? Mm -mm. No. Okay. WTLGO podcast. Mm -hmm. um, personal Instagrams is going to be at this is Kendall Hudson for Kendall and at Brianna underscore Doyen for moi. Facebook is going to be when the light goes out for anybody who still uses Facebook. I mean, I kind of do. <laughs> Our Facebook honestly sits there, so guys, give it some love. <laughs> yeah, give it some <laughs> love. I go on Facebook. I'm old now. The older I get, the more I appreciate Facebook. I'm not going to lie. I do too. I don't post though. I don't I post don't, on anything. I, I post rarely. Yeah. Don't even follow me on Instagram. I don't even post. My Honestly, account's private anyway. Follow me. I won't follow, follow back. Kendall. Follow Kendall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at least you're honest. You're so bad. Twitter is going to be WTLGO Podcast. I feel like that one also sits. Show that one some love. You know what? I forgot we had a Twitter. I, <laughs> I don't ever go on it. 
Um, I don't even think I follow it. <laughs> like, on my personal account. I think you're, like, the only person that I actually followed on that account. That's so funny. I don't really go on Twitter, though. I don't really use Twitter anymore. I'm, like, mainly Instagram. Um, and lastly, after all of that, is gonna be our email. Has anyone ever emailed us? Not yet. Oh my god, email us, guys. WTLGOinquiries at gmail.com. Um, Please. Once again, WTLGOinquiries at gmail.com. Send us some emails. Yes, and I put all these in the show notes, so if you guys yeah, copy are ever... Yeah, if you guys are ever like, I don't know where the hell to find this, I'll put it in I'll put it in the show notes. So just check that. Yeah, check out the show notes. Give us some suggestions on stories you want to hear. I know some people already have verbally to us, such as our friends and family, but we'd love to hear from the rest of you guys. Um, yeah. Especially people who might want to stay anonymous. Reach out to us. Reach out. You can be anonymous. We love yeah. you either way. <laughs> send, us, send us some suggestions. We'd love to talk about them. We'd love to read them. And then we still, as always, I say this every episode, but we still want to compile listener stories. So yes. definitely send us anything you have, whether it be paranormal experiences you've had, weird experiences, definitely we've talked about. Yeah, um, no, seriously. I feel like I always go to like the coffee shop or I'm always talking to people that listen to it and they're like, oh, I really have a good story. And I'm like, put it in a, yeah, put it in a file, send it like, to me. Send it to us. I'm waiting. <laughs> we would literally love to read them. I'm going to be so excited when we get our first email. Oh, I will too. Trust me. I will too. And I just also wanted to say too, thank you so much, everyone across the world that has been listening to us this far um this is episode seven and i'm kind of like psyched because wow like yeah, that's, we're doing so uh, well <laughs> we've made it to episode seven we've made it to episode seven, seven. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah please keep listening make sure you hit that follow button subscribe button no matter what you're listening on you can do that yeah you can find us anywhere too on any yes um platform that does podcasts we're literally on everything yeah um we see you guys we appreciate appreciate you guys we appreciate all the love and all the feedback definitely um as always yeah send us some feedback we love you thank you so much guys and we will see you next when the light goes out